live. Um, let me just set this up. Yes, Mr. Smith, I think we're there. We broke the rules today, but if I'm going to break the rules for any guests, it's for you, my friend. We've started early. <laughs> but, but that's cool. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you. You're, tell the guys where you're from. You're, you're another American friend of mine now. Absolutely. We are now friends, Alex. No question. Um, my name is Alan Smith. I live in Los Angeles, California, uh, all the way across the, the pond. And uh, I'm honored to be with you and your friends uh, right there in the UK. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I mean, th this I've never read a book, so le let me just showcase your book. This is a fantastic book. I'd encourage everybody listening to this podcast to buy this book and support Alan. Uh, this is the first time Alan and I are speaking, but I already love this guy just because, um, Alan, you stand up and you speak up for what you believe in. Um, that's, you know, when I look up to guys, um, it's for that very reason. You know, you do something about the bad things that are happening in the world. So challenging conversation. People might be thinking, well, what is, you know, the human trafficking got to do with becoming a better man? And you you talk about that yeah. in the book so well. You talk about personal responsibility and, and how we bring up the future generations of our men and so on. So you spent 35 years at um, a company called uh, Young Life. So you've dedicated your entire life to helping young people. What what was Young Life about in comparison to Saving Innocence? Well, Young Life is a, is a nonprofit organization. It's a faith-based organization, and it's reaching out to all kids everywhere in, in the community. It's all throughout the world. It's in the UK as well. So you could look up Young Life in your neck of the woods. It's, it's yeah. globally. And, um, you know, it's mentoring, and it's summer camps, and it's uh, pairing up adult volunteers who are trained to, you know, pair up with the kids that we work with and um, just basically build into their lives in any way that's, that we can. Yeah, so thirty-five. So you've dedicated your entire life to this. How did you get into knowing that you had a talent or a desire to help young people live better lives? Well, when I was in high school myself, uh, there was a Young Life program right there uh, at my school, and and I became one of the kids, one of the Young Life kids, and had my life turned around and changed through the summer camps and through these volunteer leaders and these staff leaders that poured into me, and and it was the natural next step for me to first become a volunteer leader for about 10 years. And then I came on the Young Life staff for 25 years, so 35 all told with the organization. And um, it was just the natural next thing that made sense for me. And uh, I enjoyed all of that. And it was, it was quote unquote done to me and, and, and it really changed my life. So I, 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 that's what I did with my life until about six or seven years ago. Yeah, I know. I know. Is it, I, I mean, well, that's what I really want to talk to you about, and especially the role that men play. And because when we're talking about, you know, human trafficking, a lot of guys will instantly think, well, you know, it's a problem that exists outside of my world. Uh, I'm not doing it. it. has nothing to do with me. And, you know, I was quite naive and thought a little bit along those lines. And I picked up your book. Uh, I read it within two days. I was, I was totally fascinated um, by it and gripped. I think it's so well written, by the way, Alan. You should be proud of yourself for writing such a great book. Thank you. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's excellent. It's a difficult topic to read about, and you you state this in the book. You say, look, there's no going back. You know, when you read this shit, when you read the horror things that are going on, like you can't turn back. And I think that's that's true. And I like that you you kind of positioned the book in that in that sense. So going back to before you before you joined joined Young Life, like what was your um, you know did you have a, a strong role model growing up? Did you have a you know father figure or, or a strong father to show you? what you believe is the right way and right path to live as a man? Yeah, I, I, you know, I came from a two-parent household and my dad was definitely present and had a good relationship with him. He was, you know, sort of busy with his career. And I, I wouldn't say that um, 
it was a really strong influence along the way of the things that are coming out in the book, but definitely a positive experience and a, and a good, a good role model of sorts for sure. Cool, man. So let's talk about um, saving innocence. So uh, I think again, I'm not sure everyone will know what human trafficking is. I know, um, I know that might sound bizarre, bizarre to you, but uh, and again. I, you know, we may uh, assume that it doesn't exist in the UK, which I'm sure is terribly inaccurate. So, yeah, should we just start there and, and kind of explain a little bit more in basic terms what human trafficking is? Yeah, absolutely. And and just so I don't forget, thank you for um, your kind words on the book. And um, you, you said something that caught my antenna went up. You said support Alan. I wanted everyone to know that any proceeds from this book uh, support and go directly to survivors of sex trafficking. There's about six of them, amazing women in the book that share their life. And so they're all benefiting. So I can, I can unapologetically say buy a case of books and give them to every man, you know, um, it's not supporting me directly. Um, so I yeah. just want to make sure I got that out before I forgot. Um, yeah. Sort of what is human trafficking and how close is it to those of you in the UK and anywhere else? Well, it's, it's been called the modern day slavery. It's where one person asserts ownership over another person and they control them. And uh, there's three important words that help define it. It's called force, fraud or coercion. And so it's compelling somebody to do that which they don't want to do. Right. They are the slave. You're the owner. Not you are, but the person who's doing that. And through some means of force, physical force, oftentimes violent force. We, we've had a number of the kids that we've been working with actually lose their lives over the last 12 months. They've actually been murdered. Um, these traffickers, we call them, aren't playing around. They are not good people with good intentions. They're bad people with bad intentions. And they are owning another person through force, fraud, or coercion. And in the case of sex trafficking, they're also, there's also labor trafficking, where people are uh, forced to work in slave-like conditions in our country, it's usually somebody trying to trying to immigrate to our country and they didn't go through a process to get their legal paperwork. And so the trafficker preys on that and and threatens to deport them and deport their family and all those kinds of things if they don't do exactly what they're supposed to do. And they work, you know, 18 hours a day for almost no money and um, those kinds of things. That would be labor trafficking. Other parts of the world, you know, you know, m making bricks somewhere, working some some kind of a warehouse or something like that. In those kinds of conditions, um, generally people are being forced to do that. The biggest majority of trafficking, though, is sex trafficking. And that's by force, sometimes lethal force, uh, compelling someone to be available to have some version of twisted sex. Six, eight, 10, 12, 15 or more times every single day with strange men for money that they don't get a dime of. It goes right to the, the trafficker, the person that's controlling um, this young woman. And sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a man or a boy as well. <clears throat> and wh wh where is it? How big of a problem is this? Um, there are more people enslaved right now than at any time in human history. Mm. So you think about, you know, all the stuff you learned about in your history book and the, the transatlantic slave trade into the United States, you know, in the 1800s and other parts of the world throughout human history. There's more people enslaved right now via human trafficking than at any time. Um, one organization estimated there's some 40 to 45 million people, humans, enslaved by human trafficking right now today. And it's absolutely in the UK and, and throughout Europe, for sure, 100 percent. It's, it's running big time anywhere where there's a lot of men. Most of the buyers are men and there's a little extra money in the pocket. And there's those that get preyed upon by these by these traffickers. It's, it's heartbreaking. 
Yeah. Uh, every book that I read, I don't know, I have a, a highlighter and I highlight important passages and things that kind of stick out. With, with your book, I literally could have just highlighted the whole goddamn thing, man. It was like everything you said was like, one, it was quite shocking, and two, it was really, really important. So I just kind of noted down some stats, you know, uh, estimated 300,000 children being trafficked for sex. And this is just in the US. Uh, yeah. And this is across all 50 states. This isn't an area, you know, it's not just kind of like secluded to one area. Um, a lot of these kind of children are American-born US citizens as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a- average age of uh, around 12 years old. So, you know, we're talking about children here, aren't we? We're talking about, you know, young children who aren't in charge of any decision-making whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a real, real issue. And like I said, I'd, I'd love to know, like, the worldwide stats for this and whether you've got any more information uh, for us guys here in the UK, or, or you know, because they're, they're, they're high numbers. Yeah, no, the, and and the, it just so happens that the young children are the most vulnerable for all the reasons, you know, a, a kid doesn't have a lot of life experience. They haven't, they haven't been alive very long. That's what makes them a child. And, um, and then when you compound that on top of that, a lot of the kids that we see in that are being trafficked have already experienced an early childhood abuse by the people closest to them that were supposed to be loving them appropriately and protecting them. And yeah. oftentimes those people, if it's not a parent, a friend, an uncle, somebody has violated them in some way at a point in time in their life when they can't understand what's happening and they maybe just assume I guess this is okay. I guess this is what it means when someone loves you, they, they touch you in this way. And so the boundaries of what is acceptable and what is normal get expanded at a very young age and they get conditioned to think this is, this is normal. This is the way it is. And, and then, and then when that trafficker sees that vulnerability uh, at school, at a bus stop, at the mall, walking home, they see this child that's been wounded at their earlier years, they can spot it. And they prey on that vulnerability. They offer protection. They offer safety. They offer comfort. They offer love. They offer all those things that this child has always longed for, has always wanted, but have never really seen it, never seen the healthy, good version of it. And and then, you know, that trafficker puts his hooks in her. And before she knows it, she's in a place she didn't know how she got there. She didn't know it existed. And she has no idea how to get out. And oftentimes for these kids, there's no one looking for them because their own family is already so broken and dysfunctional Um, and they get lost. They say that the life expectancy of a child entering trafficking is about seven years. Once they get started, Uh, these are kids, humans, children losing their lives as a result of this violent and abusive life that they are uh, lured and, and uh, pulled into. Yeah. So, so as humans, we have this tendency to, you know, if if the problem isn't, you know, directly affecting us, or on our doorstep, then we like to think it doesn't exist and so on. I think your argument in the book, and, and I agree with you, is that you know men created this problem. Like the, the majority of offenders are men. Therefore, it only makes sense that it's men's, you know, um, primary objective to to stop these these things from occurring. So, you know, if a guy's listening to this now and thinking, well, look, this has nothing to do with me. I don't know it exists. Like, how on earth does my behavior affect human trafficking and, and the bigger problems in the world. Like yeah, where where could we start explaining how what we do from a personal level has an impact in the greater world? 
And, and that's really the urgent message of the book. And, and, and thank you for having me and sharing me with your audience. Um, and I love the name of your communication, The Better Man. <laughs> we need better men. Yeah. Um, what I learned when I came to human, uh, excuse me, when I came to Saving Innocence, what I learned quickly was that men are the problem. Um, men are most of the buyers of sex are men. Most of the sellers or the traffickers are men. And then I start going to any kind of gathering, any kind of training, any kind of an event on a Saturday in a community. And there's almost no men there. It's mostly women. If there are a few men, it, like they probably work in the, in the place that, you know, they open the door and they unlock it for us. So it, it was really bothering me. Most men don't know what's going on and they're not part of the solution. And that's, that's part of what the book is trying to do to shake us, wake us up and, and understand that we're the problem. And, and there's two ways I think of that we're the problem. And this, effect, this is where it affects all of us. It gets to kind of your point in your question. <clears throat> there are those men that are have gone down that path through some sort of a sex addiction, maybe some sort of a brokenness in their own life, some sort of a, a wound in an early childhood uh, abuse that happened to them, a missing father in the house. You can add all those different things up. And some man goes down the path to actually buy sex from someone who's been put for sale against their will. May, might be a child or might not be a child. Well, that person is absolutely part of the problem. And that, and that man, we, we want to grab a hold of that man and say, stop that. You're, you're participating in the destruction of these humans. They don't want to be there. You're raping them. Non-consensual sex is called rape. You're raping them. They don't want to be there. So stop that. So that's the obvious one. And most men are listening, saying, oh, of course, I'm not doing that. And I would never do that with a child. I mean, that's, that's crazy. And so this isn't for me, right? And that's where I want to say not so fast. This is for all of us. Because if we haven't actively created and participating in this problem of buying sex, we have passively looked the other way and allowed it to happen. That means it's, it's on us. If you allow something terrible to happen, you may not have actually done it, but you allowed it to happen. That's not any better. This is our responsibility, man, to see this evil that's in the world, to see this brutal crime against humanity happening right in our midst, in our communities. And I'm not super familiar with the UK, although I have been there once or twice. But I bet anyone who's listening right now, if you're in the UK, within five miles, there's someone being sold for sex of where you're sitting right now. It's in your towns and certainly your bigger towns. It's 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 in your communities. And so men are absolutely the problem. Now, there's the, the over the top buying sex. OK, that probably nobody would disagree with that. But what I want to do is enlarge the definition of what it means to buy sex. Most men don't know that when they sit on their computer or their phone after hours, maybe their wife, girlfriend has gone to bed or out of the house and they turn on some version of pornography. What they don't fully understand, or maybe they don't care to understand, is that most of the women, I know there's men too in pornography, but most of them are there in some way against their will. They're being coerced in some way. And in some way, they're actually being trafficked into that movie set or that motel room. Like they literally don't have a choice, period. They're being controlled by another person. They go into a room, somebody turns on a camera, then there's some version of sex, oftentimes violent sex, oftentimes a gang rape. And that video gets put on the porn site. And now here's you got some guy who's got his own brokenness and his own addictions and his own selfishness. He turns that on 
and he receives some kind of gratification by watching somebody get raped. <laughs> Guys, the better man. We got to be better than that. We have to say no more. I, I, that's a wake-up call to me and to men that I talk to. The problem with pornography is that there's no little disclaimer. There's no little box that's clicked that says this person here is here consensually and they want to be here. There's no way to know. So we are funding, we're feeding this dark beast, this ugly beast of exploitation and trafficking. And, and there's no way of knowing who on that screen wants to be there. I'm not sure if anyone really wants to be there, but some people would say they choose to be there. And the vast majority don't want to be there doing that's happening. So we yeah, are. I'm sorry, Alan. Yeah, and I think one of the problems with pornography is it's it's pure addiction for a lot of men. I mean, I've got some some again stats com- coming from the book here. Teen is the most searched word on the net when looking for porn, yeah. uh, and I think it was 3.5 billion billion views on Pornhub per month. Which you're talking about? That's outdoing Amazon and Netflix. Yeah. So you know we can sit here and pretend that. You know, it's not an issue. It clearly is. Yeah. And I, I discovered this when, you know, we have quite open conversation, conversations in The Better Man. Uh, and firstly, it was very, very rare for somebody not to watch porn. Like, you know, it was just a normal thing to do. Yeah. And secondly, we discovered that when certain men tried to stop, they had huge difficulties doing it. Therefore, like it had become an addictive part of their habit, routine, psyche, whatever you want to call it. But it was an issue. But I think, yeah, a lot of men will, will get around that by just saying, I'm not doing any harm. You know, I'm in my house. No one's getting hurt. You know, it's <clears> 10 <throat> minutes and that's it. But you've clearly explained there, right? It's, you know, the fact that the word teen is searched most highly as well. We have to look at our behaviours. Giving up porn was one of the best things I did. And it's, you know, that was about six years ago because I know it negatively impacted me growing up from the age of like 13. That shit that you see, yeah. it becomes normal and normal. And the thing is, um, Alan, it's like when you're when you're a young lad, like you know, you get turned on by pretty much anything, don't you? A picture, yeah. anything. After a while, you don't get turned on by that. So you think, yeah. right, well, let's go for the hardcore magazines on top of the shelf. Yeah. Then they don't do it for you any longer. You start getting hold of like the imagery on TV, and that's how it works. You need more and more and more to get off to, and it starts to take you down a real dark, deep path. But it censorship's a weird thing because you know we you know we could say something a little bit controversial on this podcast that could get stripped down and taken down yet there's terrible things floating around on the internet which just seem to now be like normal and accepted i don't know why why that has become or or what's allowed this situation to arise uh yeah no that that's right and with the benefit of uh kind of advanced neuroscience now in this age that we live in with medical science, there's studies that show there's an actual rewiring of sorts of your brain, of a young brain when they start consuming pornography. It gets rewired and you're correct with any addiction, whether it's a substance abuse or a sex addiction, it always requires a little bit more to get the same high that you become addicted and you begin craving. And when it comes to pornography or sex addiction in general, that usually means a younger and more violent experience. And so here's our kids laying in the battlefield, um, being chewed up by that men that need to get better. They need to be the better man. And um, so that's that's the passive that's the passive way. Although that's a little more active. Um, but you know, like you said, you know, you're, you're in your own home, and no one other there is physically with you. So it sort of seems harmless in a way. Um, 
I just want men to know that that is feeding the ugly beast of human trafficking. And in many cases actually is human trafficking. Um, And I don't know. And that's part of the question. We're kind of exploring the book. Like what has gone wrong with society? How is this possible? How is, how has it been normalized? How has sexual abuse, extreme versions of pornography, human trafficking, how'd we get here? Why are we here? And, and that's where it comes down to, um, well, men, you can say, uh, let's discuss uh, the problem. And someone say, might say, which problem you're talking about? And, and I might say, pick any, pick a problem. And probably a bunch of men, a bunch of broken men, a bunch of idiot men are behind it causing it. Like, pick a problem. Can you think of many world problems that sort of you can't attribute to a bunch of men? And in this case, it's absolutely man of the problem. And, and the tone of the book in my conversation is not man shaming. It's not heaping a bunch of burning coals on all the men that are doing all this stuff. It's more like, come on this adventure with me. Come on this journey. I want to introduce you to some of the some of my some of my friends. Let them tell their stories and challenge and urge us to step up and be better. And that'll mean we have to turn some things off. We have to make some radical changes, maybe get into some programs and solve our addictions. It might be something more subtle and, and it'll always start in the home. It'll always start as we look in the mirror, man to man, talk to your guys, the community of men that you run with and, and just live a different standard and elevate women and elevate sexuality to a place of honor, not a place of demeaning, oppressive, violent hurt. And that's, that's a big part of this problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of one of the main things I've learned over the last 10, 15 years, Alan. It's like you start in your own home, like get that right before you think about fighting the wars outside of your house, like fight the war with yourself because it's going on, it's real. Um, and just so people, you know, people might think that the buyers that you refer to, are, you know, these seedy little men that sit in their, their kind of like bedrooms all day, but as you point out in the book, like these are normal people spending money on, 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 you know, on, on human trafficking, sex trafficking, their doctors, their lawyers, dentists, little league coaches, even people from Atlanta police, which is shocking. And one girl claimed that, you know, she was trafficked outside of the white house just across the road. So like these are not, you know, what you would consider normal guys, normal professions, most of them aged between 35 and 55 white men, uh, decent e- income, but again, it says all of them have been exposed or addicted to pornography. Um, my mentor, Jeff Thompson, thinks a lot of men's issues are deep-rooted in the fact that they start watching pornography from um, a very, very young age. And it was interesting. They were trying to do a study in the UK at one point on men versus, men who watched porn versus men who didn't. And this is no bullshit. They couldn't find enough men to participate in the study who did not watch porn. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. And, you know, when a, when a younger man, a young boy and, and then a, a young man go, starts going down that path, what, what they don't under, what they don't understand now with the benefit of science and a kind of brain science, it actually is harming their sexuality. It actually is causing them to not be able eventually to really have a, 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 a you know, a, a appropriate sex life. They can't they can't do it anymore. And and that ruins marriages. It ruins relationships because you can't replicate in the bedroom what you're seeing, what these guys are seeing on the screen. And it just changes the way that they think and the way their body responds. So this very act of trying to receive sexual, you know, arousal and intimacy and all those kinds of things, it actually is doing the negative in that process. And then they find themselves just in a dumpster fire. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's easy to get quite cynical because, you know, if, if for every generation, for example, you know, if we become a little bit weaker, it's like it's impossible to raise uh, a strong young man if you're not a strong man yourself, right? Like, you know, we need strong men to, to help create other strong men. Yeah. So it's like, well, how do we turn the tide a little bit? You know, there's individuals like yourself out there fighting for for great causes and so on. But it seems like such the minority now where it's easy to have your eyes shut. It's easy to sleep your way through life. Um, what's going to wake us up a bit more? You know, what's going to give us purpose that's outside of ourselves? Because that's my concern. I think a lot of people's purpose is now just inside themselves. It's very narcissistic. You know, social media is there. And, you know, you know, I like to consider myself a half-decent human being, but it's easy for me to get stuck in the cycle of, like, look at my social media, look what I'm doing. Everything becomes about me, me, me. So how do we start to turn the tide, Alan, and, and get guys to focus on bigger issues uh, in the world? I think it starts with an awareness that there are bigger issues. And, and you're right, some people are consumed with their own world, their own thing they're trying to build. And so there is a little bit of we got to shake each other, got to shake men up. Uh, ask men to be leaders in the community of men that they that they know and they hang out with. Lead by example, and then um, courageously lead your friends, people you have a relationship with, and challenge them to do more. Uh, in chapter three of the book, you referred to it. Um, a friend named Rachel uh, went away to college and uh, came from a great home, great two parent home, a dad who loved her. She had a great childhood. Uh, was approached when she was 19 years old. We're not talking about a 12-year-old foster child. A 19-year-old, well-adjusted young woman got approached by a, a modeling agent, um, a man in a three-piece suit with a business card, and said, "I, you you have what it takes. Uh, you, would you want to join my agency? She did. And then he became her trafficker and started forcing, uh, you, now you're going to go have sex in that car with that man right there. What are you talking about? No, I'm not. Yes, you are, because otherwise I'm going to, kill your parents. She gave them her home address as part of signing onto the job and kill your roommate who you live with at college. It's like, what? Like she didn't know this even existed. So she was forced caught in this, this hell of not wanting to do that, but also not wanting to be responsible for her, you know, her loved ones being murdered. And they would have, these aren't empty threats. So in the middle of her story one day, and I detail it in that chapter and she tells it in her voice, she says, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. And, and that's where the title of the book was born that day. Um, we added later the word men because men are the problem, the target audience. But I needed someone to fight for me. And I say all that because deep inside the heart of a man is a warrior, is a, is a protector, is someone who's going to not shy away from the battles that must be fought. It's, we've seen it all throughout history. My favorite movie is Braveheart. <laughs> you know, in, in your neck of the woods, that battle that happened so long ago. Um, brave, strong men. Uh, we are wired to fight, to fight the fights that need to be fought. And what I'm trying to communicate with this book is that there is a fight that needs to be fought that's bigger than ourselves. We can live small, we can play small, we can build the kingdom of self, we can make a few more bucks, we can just live our own selfish life, and that is empty. A fulfilling life is one that is fighting for something bigger than themselves. And in the process, you're protecting the people you love, your wife and your children and your family members. But let's step into a bigger arena, men. Let's step onto a bigger platform. Yes, start in your own home. Make sure your own wife and children are, are good and safe and secure and protected and loved, 
But then what about your neighborhood? What about your city? What about your country? What about the world? There's a lot of hurt and pain and brokenness in the world. Let's be part of a bigger, a bigger narrative, a bigger picture. I think most men want that. They may have, they've fallen asleep. They've been consumed with their own self, consumed with not necessarily even bad things. They're consumed with their life. And I'm wanting to reach in the screen. Come on, guys. <laughs> uh, there are vulnerable, hurting people that are saying, they're actually saying, or they're thinking it, I need someone to fight for me. It's like, who's with me? Let's go, fellas. Like, it's time. It's go time. We have to do this. Yeah. And this is why, um, you know, my my gateway into all of this transformation game, Alan, is in the physical body. So I, I, I encourage all of my guys to get in better health and better shape. So I believe, like you said, you know, if we want to help the world, well, you know, let's shrink that down. Like, let's start with ourselves. I think you can learn a lot from getting into good shape, you know, discipline. Uh, you have to beat your urges. You have to be dedicated, um, disciplined, committed, you know, all, all the things that men run away from. Um, but that's a great start. Get, get your, you know, your palate under control, what you eat, what you drink. Yeah. And then then you're a good influence for your, your kids, aren't you, and your family, and then, like you say, you you know, if you get that sorted and you become a better man, then you can start looking around your community and saying, how can I help my local community? Maybe you can make a difference there. If every man did that, the world would be a different place. And then you've got some, you know, elite few that will step out of that community and they will think bigger and better and better. Um, but yeah, you, you, you touch on it really nicely in the book. The crimes that are being committed but for these men, I mean... I think power was one thing that you said a lot of the guys get from it, money, and some of the guys who are committing these crimes uh, and spending a lot of time on pornography just got damn lonely as well. And, um, you know, through maybe through actions of their own, um, but they seem to be the main reasons why people would, because, again, people will be listening thinking, well, why would men do that? But there's clearly a reason, right? Yeah, the, there is a theme. There is a common thread of um, power and money. Um, a, a lot of the buyers, they're not like we talked earlier a minute ago. They're not these, you know, sort of scuzzy, degenerate guys living under the bridge, you know, kind of a thing. They're like normal people. And and a lot of times for these buyers, a lot of them are married and, and a lot of them maybe have seen something in, in pornography or they've had some little fetish or fantasy and they know they their wife would never go for it. They could never live out or play out this fantasy. And so they go down this dark path of finding someone they can have power over. Um, and, and a lot, in a lot of cases it's, you know, white men, middle-aged white men. And historically that demographic has asserted power over more vulnerable populations and demographics. And we see that in trafficking about 70 or so percent of the, of the young victims that we take care of at saving innocence. And you can learn more at savinginnocence.org. But we we take care of their young girls of color and and a lot of the buyers are middle aged white men, not all in any one of those categories. But that's the majority, because that middle aged white man uh, typically has power. And for that person that's gone down that path of addiction and, and um, exploring, uh, you know, the, the sex industry, if you will, um, he's got some money in his pocket and he's got power and he's going to assert that power over the vulnerable. Um, again, just another layer of tragedy and heartbreak that, uh, there's a, a version of human being that is thought of as less than, and we're going to do what we want when we want with them and to them. There was an interesting part of the book where you, it's called coffee with a pimp. 
um, where you met a guy, I've got his name down, I think, I think it's Armin or, or, or yeah. something along those lines. Um, and he, you know, he made a really um, quite bold statement about the fact that, you know, the conditions that uh, make life so terrible for these for these young victims are also similar conditions to what yeah. make it horrible for us. So he'd had a pretty rotten upbringing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he'd ended up in that position. So do we, you know, do we extend our empathy out towards the people committing the offences? You know, is that one way that we can start to take a bit more of a bird's eye view and see how we can actually help, or do we actually need to punish the offenders much harder in in terms to make sure it doesn't happen? In- yeah, that, that's really an interesting challenge. And I kind of walked through it in the book, as you remember, um, like, and I said, the ch- challenge number one, he said the challenge number two, like, like I'm being challenged, me as the author, as the interviewer of this, this former trafficker, this former pimp. And, and he said some things that were really interesting, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I, I knew this academically, but to sit across the table from him and hear him say it, the same conditions that produce the victims produce the traffickers the mm. same conditions of of poverty of injustice of addiction of missing broken homes oftentimes a missing father um he, he grew up in that neighborhood and saw the older boys in the neighborhood with money in their hands he was sleeping in a car homeless and was forced to, to sell drugs to so he could help his family and help his mom and there was a quick and easy way to make money and and the younger boy, the older boys in the neighborhood were doing that. And he got sucked down there. His dad wasn't there. No one was there to correct him. No one was there to monitor him. And he just had to survive. He used an interesting word. I needed to survive. I can't tell you how many times we've heard that from our young trafficking victims. It's survival. I have no choice. I needed to survive. And you think about that. I don't know exactly all of your background, Alex, but I've never, I don't know that I've ever actually been in a life and death survival situation. I didn't join the military. I wasn't a police officer, wasn't a fireman on the top of a burning building. Like the next decision, my training is going to determine whether I live or die. Um, think about that. We have young people, oftentimes young children are living in a heightened state of vigilance where they are convinced I could die today. I could die in the next 10 minutes if I don't do exactly, do I go left or right? Do I say yes or no? Like if I don't do exactly the right thing, I'm going to die. My goal is to get through the end of this day somehow and still be alive. And then I got to do it all again. Could you imagine having to do that even one day? Like, like I might die 10 times today. How am I not going to die? That's another level of stress and anxiety and PTSD and and the young traffickers are saying, I needed to survive. This isn't in any way to um, excuse no. behaviors. Uh, I believe we should have harsh penalties for those that abuse, particularly children in this way. But we can't go in there blindly and not acknowledge and understand uh, their circumstances, because that might influence how we think about them. Uh, I, I actually met with a former buyer recently, a sex buyer specifically, and he's kind of reformed. He said, I wasn't a bad person. And, uh, you know, I had my own problems, my own addictions, but I wasn't a bad person during that. And now he's on the good side of things, you know, trying to communicate to men about it all. Uh, and this, and this trafficker, Armand, 
So I wasn't the very first thing, as you remember in the book, I, he came out, he led with it. We're like, we're just sitting down basically. Hey, I'm not evil, nor was I when I was doing it. It's like, okay, I didn't ask you that, but that's interesting that you are ready to tell me that. So I think we have to have harsh penalties, but it has to be holistic. At the same time, let's, let's punish the people for appropriately for their crimes but as a society, your country and my country, let's let's go into the places in the communities and the neighborhoods where the future traffickers and the future victims are. We know that they're there. It just hasn't happened yet for most of them. And let's create some programs around that. Let's create some awareness around that, some education. Uh, this young pimp went down the path in his mind was really the only option. He wasn't a good enough athlete to make it out. He wasn't a good enough entertainer rapper to, to make it. This was the only thing he saw. So part of our holistic answer has to be creating other opportunities, other things that these people can see. Now they still got to make the choice, but if we can create opportunities for these young buyers, these young victims and these young future traffickers, um, we'll create a different pathway for a lot of them for sure. Yeah, but like as you mentioned, like some of the victims right, had no choice, right? And I'm not saying that this young, uh, this you know, this pimp didn't have a choice, but his choices were so limited. Mm-hmm. When it's I have to do whatever I can to survive, and I, I mean it's like anything really. If you think about like Hitler's army or even what's happening now with the Russian soldiers, a lot of that will be fear based. You know, these Russian soldiers putting their life on the line will probably be doing this out of fear not really knowing what they're fighting for. And it just happens to be that they were born in Russia in a certain upbringing. Do you know what I mean? A lot of it is taken out of their hands. A lot of it is deterministic. It's like, you know, we were born here. We didn't ask to be born here. So, you know, I do have a certain amount of empathy for for people who have found themselves in real tough situations. And I think, you know, if if any man openly and honestly looks at himself, Alan, he'll realise that he's got evil inside of his heart. Like you talk about duality, you know, we've got, there's a battle going on between good and evil in all of us. And I can say this quite honestly, because I've done some things I'm really not proud of. You know, you'd look back and you think that was fucking horrible. You know, who the fuck was I doing that? It wasn't the good Alex. It's not the Alex I want to be. It's not the Alex I know. So you kind of know there's an insight there, don't you, that you're capable of doing bad things. I think it's important that you know that because then you can reach out a little bit of empathy towards people. Like I say, it's, this isn't excusing anybody's actions to do anything terrible, but it's it's almost saying, look, they're human beings and the potential to do evil is in all of us. It just happens to be, perhaps, that I was lucky to be born into a, a good family in England where opportunities are, you know, are, are rife and, and uh, around me all the time. Yet if I was born in Russia, who knows? I could be on the front line now shooting yeah. at, at some innocent Ukrainian. It just wouldn't necessarily mean i'm a terrible person right and for me this is one of the first ways to get around a problem it's understanding that and there's a guy called johnny bakavoy who he simply said that he was he got done for armed robbery when he was a young lad um you know he was brought up in a criminal family but he said the only thing prison did for him was introduce him to higher level criminals so he got to network he got to know uh terrorists better criminals so he was just getting better connected and he realized that this wasn't the way to rehabilitate me. Yeah. It was actually to offer me new career opportunities. And he became a personal trainer then, you know, and went on to to do something different. But yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to admit that you have empathy for people that do terrible things. Well, and I drove away that day. I bought him an iced coffee, said, thank you very much. He said, let me know if I can help. And I drove away just kind of like, okay, uh, I got a, <laughs> about an hour drive from where I was and I got, I got a, 
I got to think this through, you know, because I've used the word evil before, um, you know, towards people that are harming children. And, and again, I'm not excusing it in any way, but now there's a name and a face that I have to think about and look at of someone who was swept up and causing this pain on others. And he has a story. Yep. And it, again, it, it, it's not saying that what he did was okay in any way, shape or form, but it informs us now, now we're the adults in the room. Okay. What are we going to do about this? And we have to include, uh, and in chapter eight of the book, it, it go, I go through a bunch of macro and micro solutions and we have to include creating opportunities for the most vulnerable, um, you know, for these, uh, it's a poverty economically driven crime. It's supply and demand. Um, and there's always going to be some people that are going to go down a dark path because that's the path they're going to go on. But we can save a lot of pain and suffering on victims, buyers and sellers. If we can, as a society, help create some actual opportunities and some actual um, work skills, workshops, abilities for people to get jobs in other places. And I'm not sure in your neck of the woods, you know, how big of a need that is, but there is certainly, it's certainly a need in our country to um, focus on some of the inner cities communities and, and help kids get out of there uh, through other means. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, uh, you know, I've, I've struggled the last year in inside of my business because there's kind of things that I want to say on my social profiles and stuff that I kind of bite my, bite my lip a little bit and be careful. But I do, I do think we're heading in the wrong direction. We've got a lot of soft men in the UK, in England, you know, who would rather spend all their time watching TV or um, doing TikTok videos or doing things that really aren't making any positive contribution. And it's become the normal. That's the scary thing. It's almost like that syndrome of, you know, when everyone's ill, it's no longer an illness kind of thing. It's like, we've just accepted, like, this is the way the world is and we'll bring our kids into it and we'll teach them all our bad habits, you know, we'll, and, and, you know, it's it's quite concerning. And there seems to be fewer and fewer men that are willing to lead. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why that is. I don't know whether it's just a compound effect or whether, you know, sometimes I struggle with why aren't more men doing more? Why aren't more men following me? But my, my mentor always puts me in my place and says, Alex, you're not fucking perfect. So until you are, you know, keep doing the work on yourself and the ones who want to follow will follow. You know, you can't drag a horse to water kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't know what you think to that because you make some great suggestions about how we can change. Like you've already mentioned one, stop watching pornography. But again, the frustrating part is, Alan, how many people are going to listen to this and stop right. watching pornography? Right. You know, I, I uh, well, I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping when they hear that most of the people they are watching are actually being raped while they're watching them. I'm hoping that's going to shake mm -hmm. a few people <laughs> like yeah. it, it sh there should be a, a, a yellow police tape around your computer. It's a crime scene. Yeah, it's not pornography. It's actually a cr crimes being committed, and you're <laughs> you're an accomplice to the crime. Like if that doesn't wake some guys up, like one guy, is there one guy out there that is learning that that person is being raped on the screen? They don't want to be there, and you're still going to sit there with your pants down and get some kind of gratification? Come on, guys, please get some help. Uh, that can't be something that we're gonna that we're gonna you know. Well, it sounds like we're throwing out a challenge, Alan, doesn't it? So I think we should challenge any guy listening to this to, yeah, try and give up pornography. And again, if you can't, it might suggest that you might have a problem and an addiction with it. Uh, yeah. That will upset some people, you know, to to be told straight away if you can't stop, you've got an addiction. But we we um, we will convince ourselves and talk ourselves into the fact that it's it's okay. We will do that for any any anything, Alan. Won't we? If we want to do something, we will find a way to justify our behaviour for doing it.
because it's the easiest thing. But there are certain things we can control in life and where we put our attention and what we do is one of them. So it makes total sense to me to start getting more control of our urges and our actions. And I always like to think, you know, if I I don't have any children, but if I had a son, would I want him watching pornography? No. Would I want him uh, abusing alcohol? No. Would I want him eating shit? No. Would I want him scrolling social media all day and being a zombie? No. So that tells me exactly what the fuck I shouldn't do. Well, and let, let me take it one step further. Those are all correct if you had a son. Now, what if you have a daughter? Mm. Uh, what would that put yourself, and a lot of dads out there have daughters, put yourself in the mind space for a moment that your daughter, through no fault of her own, through no fault of yours, maybe, fell under the control of another person who is now selling her for sex forcing her to be in a room and being filmed. Imagine turning on pornography, dad, turn on your own pornography because you're kind of dabbling with it. You're consuming it after your kids and family go to bed. Now you turn it on and there's your daughter on the screen being raped in pornography. Like it gets real when Mm -hmm. you start. This this is not as far away as you think. Mm. This could have happened to my own daughter. This is partly what fuels, you know, the woman, Rachel, I told you earlier, she went away to college, came from a great home and a great childhood. So did my my daughter went away to college, had a great home and a great childhood. We got her everything she needed. We took family vacations. She had a, a, a dream childhood. I'm sure she would say that, too, if she was here. <laughs> and what if she got approached by a person with bad intentions while she's 19 or 20 years old at college? And that person said, had had my address, my wife and I and, my, and her brother, my son, he had our address. He said, if you don't do this and not tell anybody about it, I'm going to kill these people, your family that you love. This is okay. This is happening. Number one, this is happening. These kinds of things are happening. Now, what are we going to do? Like if we have to be compelled for the sake of humanity, these are crimes against humanity, but it's not as far away as, as men would like to believe. We want to live in denial we want to keep our eyes closed because we are at least passively contributing to this. And they don't want to be told, don't do this or do do this, do something differently because it's too comfortable. They're in a comfortable place. I like my life. I I want to go to the strip club. I want to view pornography. I, I, I'm doing this and don't tell me I'm not going to. Well, okay. Just know that you're chewing up and destructing human beings in the process. And it could be your child next. And I think this is the point where most men will probably turn off, right? And stop yeah. listening because it will start to get real. Because when, yeah. Yeah, when you ask tough questions, you've got to look at the tough answers. So no no one wants to believe what you've just said. No one wants to think about what you've just said. Um, and usually the truth hurts the most, right? You know, it's, we, will, we will do anything to avoid the truth. Most humans will do anything. It's the thing that kills us the quickest. You know, it hurts the most. But it's also the thing that can only set us free as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's and it's it's one man at a time. It, it part I think part of the reason why people maybe don't want to or can't see themselves getting involved in a, in a big fight bigger than themselves, what we talked about earlier, is that it seems so big. It seems like no matter what I do, how can I make a difference? How can I turn that? Mm-hmm. How can I turn that tide? It's like what's the point? And and that's where we challenge in the book. Okay, it starts at home. It, you'll be better. You personally will be better. Your wife, you'll have a better marriage. Your children will be better and stronger 
if you take a stand and lead courageously, that should be good enough right there. Okay. I mean, don't we at least want our own home and our own kids and our own family to be safe and strong and thriving? So give good leadership and influence in the people that are closest to you. That's great. And once we get that going now, okay, you got a friend or two. Why don't you have once a week? Here's what some, some people have done. This is, this has sprung up. They've got this book, men fight for me. <laughs> um, we have a little website called fightforme.net. You can buy it right off of Amazon, which is, I think you probably did Alex, but there's a little website. One more step. If guys want to, there's other resources and other YouTube videos and things on fightforme.net. What if you bought two or three books for the two or three buddies that you have and you start out, you just your first baby step. Once a week, go read a chapter or two a week. You read the whole thing in two days. Okay, that's cool. But, you know, you could do that. Read it all quickly. But then just for, you know, take take six, eight, ten weeks and just focus on one chapter at a time and just have conversation. Just discuss it over, over breakfast or coffee or tea or whatever it is that, that you guys do in that part of the world. And discuss chapter two. Okay, let's talk about chapter two. Jessica tells her story. Okay, let, well, how'd that hit you? What do you think about that? Chapter three, this, our friend Rachel went away to college. Let's talk about that. You know, chapter four, man to man. I'm talking, me, the author, to men about authentic and powerful masculinity. It might take two weeks uh, to break that one down. I give four pillars of masculinity. Break them down, one each week. Let's talk about accepting responsibility. That's pillar number one. What does it mean for a man to accept responsibility? Like what I'm saying is, men, Enter the conversation. Take baby steps. The biggest mistake that we could make is that we can't do everything, so we just don't do anything. Take one step, you know, and you would say with your physical fitness, take one step tomorrow. Get out of bed and go for a run or get in the weight room just one day. Let's, and then we'll, we'll talk about day number two after that. You know, one step at a time. I fucking love you, Alan Smith. I think you're great. Uh, pillar number two. So pillar number one, as you've mentioned, he accepts responsibility. And we're talking about the authentic masculine man now, yeah. which, again, for some bizarre reason, it becomes a bit of a strange word now. Ma masculine men, you think macho, bully, uh, power-driven. It's crazy, man. It's like we're uh, optionally destroying the masculine man over here. Uh, number two, he leads courageously. Number three, he lives a life of service. And number four, I love this. This is my favorite. This is what we focus on. He understands who he is is more important than what he does. Those four pillars, if we all lead by them and start, like you say, just engaging conversation. But strangely enough, even engaging or getting a guy to engage in conversation is a tricky thing to do over here, man. Most guys don't want to speak. Most guys don't want to open up. Most guys don't want to kind of like wipe the shit off the window and have a look at what's actually happening. So step one, we should be encouraging more guys to talk, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then that part of the book, I, I talk about, um, you know, that uh, nobody knows what a real man is. Hey, be a, be a man. Be a real man. What's a real man? What's a better man? Like, what is that? There's no agreed upon definition. And so uh, I, I humbly offer my four-pillar definition that I did with my son when he was five years old, along with a couple of buddies and their sons. And those were the four things. And um you know, accepting responsibility. And, and they're in no particular order. I, I do like the number four. That doesn't mean it's number fourth in my mind. They're just four of them. Um, accept responsibility. Guys, step up, accept the responsibility in your home, take care of your kids. It's your responsibility on what's coming into your kids through social media and what kind of TV shows, what kind of music is on their, on their iTunes right now. Like accept responsibility for the stuff in front of you, the stuff that's bigger in your community and just keep going out as big as you can. And I love the leads courageously, number two. 
uh, the, the commandant of our Marine Corps over here wrote a book called Warfighting. And in that, he talked about uh, leading courageously. And he said, it's not the absence of fear. It's the ability to move through the fear and continue anyway. And so, like, it's possible to be a little afraid. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I going to stand up to my friends that are buying sex in the, uh, from somebody on the street? Well, it's going to take a courageous leader. You're going to have to show some courage. It doesn't mean you're not afraid of how it's going to turn out. They might, you might lose some friendships. That could happen. If you're, if you're going to take this seriously and take responsibilities seriously for your family and for your community and for the world, you're going to ruffle some feathers. Um, are you going to shrink away from that? Or are you going to step courageously into it? A real man leads courageously. We need more Alan Smiths in the world. That's what we need. And you've got a very English name. You couldn't get a more English name than Alan Smith. There you go. <laughs> great. You need to come over here. I, I love it. But I, I, And something really excited me when you were talking then with such passion. It was like when you're talking about you know, your wife and your daughter, I thought they must look at you, Alan, and think my dad's fighting for something good. You know, my husband's fighting for something good. And surely as a man, you want the people around you to look at you and think that you're leading the line well. You don't want your yeah. whole family to see you rotting away on the fucking sofa watching shit TV doing nothing good, right? Surely, like, who wants that? Right. Right. Honestly, what man listening to this wants that kind of life? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the one of the great gifts... Uh, I mean, just it's, it's, it's happened more than once, but um, it was my birthday in February not long ago. And we do a little family uh, affirmation anytime someone's birthday ever kind of goes around and just says, you know, things they appreciate about whoever birthday it is and that kind of thing. And and like you just said, to your point, you know, both of my children, they're adult children. My daughter's 33 and my son is t- almost 29. Just turned 20. No, he's about he is 20. Just turned 29. And they both talked about that, that they're proud Mm. of what I'm doing and, and that I'm a legend in the, in, in their eyes with the kids that their friends, these other young adults, their friends, like I'm, I'm a legend to their friends. I heard things like that. Yeah. And I, yeah, that does feel good. Yeah, and, right. I'm going to share this podcast into my group straight after. I'm going to say, lads, I want you to watch this podcast because this is what I would like you to aspire to be like. Like, look at Alan, what he's saying. And it might not be human trafficking, right? But it's yeah. the fact that you're fighting for something that you believe in and that's good. Like, I bet you wake up every day, Alan, knowing what your fucking job is. I, I, absolutely. There, there's great clarity. Uh, in this season of my life, there's two things that I'm making every decision through. Like, whose podcast do I join? Um, what What do I do? And it has to do with, does it have to do with child protection? And it doesn't have to do with challenging men, one or the other or both. That's what I'm about right now. I'm about child protection and challenging men. Yeah, And um, so it's a quick yes when you asked me to be on your podcast, because I could tell that's what you're about too in some ways. Absolutely. Well, it was Mr. Jared Samuels from The Pursuit of Manliness. He said, you've got to check out Alan Smith. I said, do you know any legends of uh, you know that can come on the podcast? He was like, yeah, I do. This guy was phenomenal. He, he apparently had a great conversation with you. He's got a heart of gold. I really got a lot of time for him. I'm discovering a lot of good guys over in America. It's like, you know, when you follow one guy, it's like, yeah. you know, you follow Jared and all of a sudden there's some similar guys in his industry. So I'm kind of like enjoying speaking to the American folk. I'm heading over your way in September. I'm coming over to San Francisco and uh, I'm going to party in Vegas for a little bit and so <laughs> on. So I'm going to make you a bit of a pledge here, Alan. I'm going to do something where I can raise you a little bit of money for um, for, for the cause that you support in Saving Innocence. Just, again, it's been a while since I've read a book that's made me get up off my ass and think, right, 
I'm moving, man. I'm moving faster on this. And you've, you've made me question my own purpose because my life's all right now, Alan. My life's pretty good. I've got what I've wanted. You know, I'm working from a laptop. Life's comfortable. But you start to get a bit slack because you're like, well, what would I die for today? You know, who am I fighting for today? Who needs me today? And I've got my crew of men, of course. But, you know, as a collective, I think we can do more. And um, I think, you know, what you've said is a little bit of a fire in me. The book's a little bit of a fire in me. And I want every guy listening to this to just buy a copy, man. It's like nine quid on yeah. Amazon. Or just repeat the website again for me where you can get it. Fightforme.net. Fightforme.net. I encourage every man to, to go and buy it. Like you say, all the money goes to a great cause. Uh, but the last chapter specifically talks about becoming an authentic masculine man. And there's a great uh, chapter. I think it's chapter four, which talks about the four pillars that you're talking about. Having this conversation with other men about, well, okay, Rather than me define what is a real man for you, let's open up the conversation. I think that's a good question to ask men, isn't it? Well, you know, what does a, a real good man look and act like? Yeah, absolutely. And that was my motivation when my son was five years old. And I call it the gift of clarity. Let's give someone the gift of clarity. Nobody knows what a real man is. And so let's define it. And if you don't like my four pillars, you can take three of them and add your own or wipe them all out. But give your sons. They're desperate because they're inundated with all the social media crap and all the song lyrics and everything that are encouraging them to just use women and, um, you know, see how much sex you can have and all the different things that are out there. Um, so give your sons some clarity on what it means and then celebrate it when you see it and correct it when you don't see it. Like let's stack hands and do it with some buddies, with your buddies, with their sons do a father son thing, you know, once a month, go on something, go do some fun thing together, bring food because they're boys and do something fun because they're young boys. They want to play too. But then at some point after you fed them and played, now let's all sit down and let's talk about what it means to be a real man. I'm going to write that down because I'm going to actually do that. I've never thought about that. I'm going to set up a father and son event. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. And, and, and do you know what? You, you, when you ask a guy like, what is a real man or what do you want from life? A lot of guys will say, well, I'm not really sure. So where I always start it for my guys is, okay, well, you might not know specifically what you want from life. You might not know what, what a real man looks like in your eyes. Let's flip it around. What don't you want from life? And what doesn't a real man look like? And then you soon get the answers. Well, you know, I don't want to be exhausted and feel like shit all the time. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be completely overweight and feel like shit when I look in the mirror. Uh, I don't want to hate my job. Um, you know, all the and they list off these reels of things, you know, and you start to just flip that round and you go, You've just told me what would make you proud to be a real man and step up. Like, I don't think any man would regret being courageous, I don't think any man would regret being brave and having a purpose and an ambition. So, the answers are there, we know what to do. It's simply a decision of do we have the courage, like you've mentioned, to to go and do it and uh, not assume that the fear is going to be stripped away from us. In fact, you know, the more you push, the more fear you're going to face. But you build a, a resilience and a courage, don't you, to stare that fear in the face and say, I've seen you before. I know what you're all, all about and I can beat you and I'm going to push on regardless. Well, and what what dads and men need to understand very clearly, if you hear nothing else, if you aren't present and engaged with your family, with your kids, your young sons and your daughters, somebody else is going to fill that space and oftentimes will have bad intentions. They're literally, there are predators out there. Our, our FBI here in the States said that there's 900,000 predators online at any given moment. 
And I don't know if that was a worldwide figure or just those that are, you know, kind of focused in our country. I'm not really sure, but it doesn't matter. There are predators out there waiting to fill the void that you've left because you're consumed with your own life and your own thoughts, not necessarily in a bad way, not necessarily bad things, but you're not engaged. You're not walking with your children, interpreting life for them and left to their own devices. They're going to be turning on the internet. They're going to be listening to certain music. They're going to be watching certain things on TV. And that's going to be leading them down a path of pain and destruction. You know, I, I recently saw a little, uh, you know, national geographic thing on, on, on something that came up on my, on my newsfeed. And we've all seen the images, you know, some lion in Africa or some other place. And they, they slink down in the tall grass. You can't see them. They, they, they post up downwind so you can't smell them. And then when the herd of, antelope or whatever it is comes running by they don't pounce on the first big strong confident one they sit and wait for the weak slow one and they pounce on that one because they're cowards and they they devour the weak uh, one that can't protect themselves the same exact thing is happening to our kids these pre there are predators slinking in the tall grass downwind so they're undetectable and they don't pounce on the strong confident one they pounce on the weak vulnerable and available one Dads, do not raise a child that is the weak, slow one. Raise a child that's the strong, confident one. And you have to be involved in that process. And if your single moms are out there listening, you're doing a great job. Awesome. But moms and dads are different. Your sons need a, a strong, healthy male in their life to see what it is, to look at it. Okay, I'm going to copy that. Your young daughters need a strong, healthy man in her life. So they can say, that's what I, that's what I should be looking for. That's what I should expect. If you're not there, dad, either physically or emotionally, if you're not there, you're leaving your kids at the back of the pack, weak and slow and vulnerable. And they're about to be pounced on. Right. Incredible. Uh, just as we finish, have you read this? I have not. I like the you title. Need, you need to, man. It's exactly what you're talking about. Fantastic book. Um, in fact, if you uh, email me your address, I'll send you a copy. Okay. Um, I think it's a great book and perfect for what you're speaking about. And what you've just said is exactly why we need more masculine men. Um, yeah. I think it's good, like you say, to serve and protect. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We'll leave it on that beautiful quote you've just said, because uh, I know you've got another call coming. Thank you for joining me early. Um, just to finish, where would you? what would you say are the ingredients of somebody who wants to become a better man? What do they need to do after listening to this podcast? Where can they start? What does a better man look like? Go to fightforme.net and buy as many of these books as you can afford and give them to all the men in your life. Not a shameless plug. I actually believe it. No. Um, we break down authentic masculinity like we talked about. Um, you're going to learn some things and be challenged with some things right there in this book. That's step number one. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd say start start following those that you perceive to be good, strong men and see what they do. You don't have to make this all up. You don't have to invent everything. You can copy some things that are done well, already being done well out there. Um, get the book, go through it with some with some men and some dads, process the content. And you can email me uh, on our website, fightforme.net. There's a way to contact. I'd love to get an email from whoever and tell me what you thought about the book. Ask a question. Tell me you disagree. Tell me you do agree. Uh, just enter the conversation one way, shape or form. Awesome. I might be in touch to see whether you can do something for my guys actually inside of the group. I think, you know, to hear from a man like you would be uh, incredible. Um, yeah. And when I said at the start to support you, I think just buying the book, even though all the funds go to you at Saving Innocence, it, you know, we're in your corner, Alan. I think you're doing a great job. 
the world needs more men like you. So uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I've loved talking to you. I think you're a great guy. Uh, I knew I was going to like you from the moment I read kind of chapter one. I was like, this guy is somebody who I would like to be more like. I want that passion. I want that desire. I want that purpose. So thank you. Keep leading the line. And uh, I appreciate you doing this, man. Great to be with you, Alex. We're going to stay in touch. You're going to be someone that we're going to stay in touch uh, ongoingly. I appreciate it. Fun to meet you. Take care, my friend. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Adam, thank you.